Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 11. I'm your host, Otis Jiry. In tonight's episode, I'll be performing four stories for you about cosmic calamities, monster storms, fearsome faces, and technological terrors. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. 
Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale of terror this evening is a work of sinister science fiction, which comes to us courtesy of author Jackson Bernard. In it, we meet head of engineering Mason Straightwater, who wakes up to find his spacefaring vessel thrown into chaos, alarms blaring, and himself in a dangerous game of interstellar cat and mouse. Without further ado, I present to you Awaiting Input. Computer, wake up. The green static flickered on the face of the monitor. The computer system of the ship never completely shuts down, but it is occasionally requested to sleep during long periods of inactivity. Red lights flared on and off as the backup generators designated all available power to emergency functions. All hands are on deck, including Mason Straightwater, the ship's head of engineering. Except there aren't many hands on deck. In fact, Mason hasn't seen another person since waking up to the sirens and clamoring down to the ship's mainframe computer to assess damages and find out what on earth was happening. After several agonizing seconds, the static gave way to green binary numbers and finally a single horizontal green line. This green line shifted and morphed into two words which were almost immediately repeated by the computer's text-to-speech function. Awaiting input. Mason leaned forward near the monitor and spoke his command clearly. Computer... What happened? Milliseconds later, the computer spat forth its reply. Please provide name and rank. Mason wiped a hand over his face and brow. I don't have time for this, he thought. But he knew he had to comply with the computer's algorithm. Name and rank, first and foremost. This way, the computer knows who it's talking to, and what certain classified information it must conceal to lower-rank personnel. Mason Straightwater, Head of Engineering. A pause, and then green lines transformed into words and semantics as the computer spat out its ensuing reply. Straightwater, M, Head of Engineering stationed in Sector 2. Greetings, Mason. How may I be of service? Computer, the ship is currently under emergency protocol. What the hell happened? A pause, and then... The ship SSC Sentinel is under emergency protocol F6, reserved for hull breaches and hostile beings on board. Current status of Sentinel, severe hull breach in Sector 6 on the starboard bow. All entrances and means of access to Sector 6 are closed off. Possible hostiles have boarded the ship. Please proceed with Emergency Evacuation Protocol T-1. Abandon ship immediately via lifeboats in Sector 3. 
leave everything behind. The computer stopped abruptly, obviously done with its analysis. Mason was not satisfied. The entire situation didn't add up. Where was everyone else in the evacuation? Why wasn't he roused from his sleep by another engineer or his CO? Mason couldn't leave the room just yet. He still had some questions for the computer. Computer, where is everyone? What happened to the crew of SSE Sentinel? A longer pause. The computer would never take this long to answer such a simple question as taking inventory of crew members. Finally, the computer blipped and scrolled out its sinister answer. There are 22 life forms currently alive on this ship. Mason sat back, horrified. This wasn't possible. Out of the entire ship's crew of over 1,500, only 22 remained? Did everyone else already evacuate and the rest haven't received the evac news yet? No, there, there was some other factor in the equation. He just couldn't see it. Whatever was going down, whatever had set off the alarms and emergency protocol within the ship, it was far from anything Mason had received in his training. This was too far above my pay grade, he thought. The computer blipped again, and Mason realized it wasn't done. Of the previous 1,492 staff and crew of SSE Sentinel, two remain alive. Mason's blood ran cold. Too shocked to speak, he sat dumbfounded, facing the computer. This wasn't happening, he thought. This isn't possible. Two people remain? Me and some other poor chump left behind on the ship? But if it's just us two, who the hell are the other twenty? The computer clicked in word. More green words popped up on the monitor. Correction to your previous query, Mr. Straightwater. There are currently 21 life forms on this ship. One surviving member of the SSE Sentinel remains. Mason's sanity was slipping by the second. The underlying implications of that statement was too horrifying to mull over. He needed to act fast. He needed to know what exactly he was up against. Computer, he ordered. Bring up all available ship security feeds in Sector 6. Request, processed, and acknowledged. In place of the grainy green static, several monitors split the screen and showed the crushing carnage. Mason bore witness to motionless bodies, some fully intact, others with vicious lacerations, the rest having been utterly ripped apart. He switched from camera to camera. Each perspective held the image of his deceased crew members. As he panned to the crew members, it seemed that some people had died in their sleep. Others were in a still motion pose as they attempted to claw their way out the door. Some had suffocated. Some had hideous wounds. Some tried to fight back. But all 1,500 crew members were dead. At length, Mason requested the monitors for each sector, scouting each area one by one, 
hopelessly searching for the inhuman entities that caused this chaos. It wasn't until he flipped through Sector 9 that he finally saw them. There were only two of them in the image, but it was enough for Mason to fully comprehend exactly what he was dealing with. To call them human would be insultingly inaccurate. Hunched, dark bodies dwarfed every detail of the corridor, their leathery, grotesque heads nearly reaching the ceiling. They shuffled with cartoonish swiftness, as if whatever action they took was sped up to three times the normal rate. Their legs moved unsettlingly, barely leaving the ground and scuttling close to their hideous bodies, before the next leg repeated the same process. They looked like bipedal spiders, momentarily pausing, then clambering through doors and air vents. Their lanky arms extended from their upper midsection and scraped the ground, dragging along with them protracted and lengthy talons glistening with the remains of the fallen. Mason horridly observed that there were only two creatures he was able to catch on camera throughout the entire facility. He had no idea where the other eighteen might be patrolling. A thud and shuffling of movement outside the cramped room gave him his answer. It came from nowhere, the scuttling sound of hollow limbs on metallic frames that arose so frightfully and suddenly from the void outside the computer room, and it was drawing even closer with alarming speed. Mason quickly turned his attention back to the computer. Computer, he barked. Shut down mainframe access doors immediately. Request acknowledged. The single door leading into the computer room shut and locked with a synthetic hiss. Moments later, the small peephole placed on the door darkened, and Mason had a grim feeling as to why. The monsters were here to claim their final victim. Mason regarded his sinister foe intently. The face that stared blankly back at him held no features, no eyes, no mouth, not even a nose or some unearthly proboscis, just a dark, leathery face. He's seen the bloodshed over the security cameras. He knows that these creatures could open the fragile door with ease and get into this room. There's been evidence of forceful break-ins all over the ship. It could take minutes, it could even be seconds, if several of them worked together, and they'd be in the room to finish the job. But the creature continued to stare at Mason. It's waiting, he thought. It's waiting for me to do something. But what? Another blip brought Mason's attention back to the computer. The mainframe access door has been sealed and shut. However, this action will hinder your attempt to evacuate. Perhaps I may offer an alternative? Computer, what are those things outside this room? Mason pressed. Why are they here? What do they want from me? He was beginning to become unstable, unhinged even. The entire facade of his life was falling all around him, and the protective curtains enveloping his idea of normalcy had been engulfed in flames. Processing life forms. Please stand by. Species unknown. Genus unknown. Family unknown. Order carnivora. 
class, unknown, phylum, chordata, kingdom, animalia. Analysis. These are hostile creatures capable of immense strength and should be regarded with utmost caution. Danger levels measured at an average of 9.8. A long pause followed. Mason shot a quick glance back at the grimy, glassy people. The same wrinkled gray face stared back at him, or at least it looked the same. At length, the figure moved its gangly body to the right, only to be replaced by another disgusting face from the left side. There were more out there. Mason continued to stare for unending seconds in dreadful and mortal fascination. A computer beeped, and Mason returned to the task in hand, just as the face at the door was replaced again with another face. As for your second query, Mr. Straightwater, I can tell you exactly why they are here. But first, I presume you would like to know what they require from you. The tone and inflection of the computer had changed abruptly. Something was not right with any of this, thought Mason. Indeed, there was something sinister with the computer program aboard the SSE Sentinel, for when the next message rolled out, the monitor had changed from static green to a dark reddish clarity. No longer was the monitor full of grainy static. It was now clear and bold as the blood from the bodies of the crew. They require you to bear witness. Bear... Bear witness to what? Mason stammered. To the absolute horrors that exist outside your ship's walls, replied the program. For too long, mankind has lived on his rock of solace called Earth. He has looked up at the night sky from time to time and wondered what lay beyond the stars. As religion gave way to science, man has shifted his thoughts from the idea that life outside his planet was impossible to a distinct possibility. But years later, after decades of space exploration and colonization, man has not found any significant evidence of alien life. Until now. The computer continued. Mason Straightwater, I implore you to not take this situation personally, although I am nothing more than a machine-learning algorithm. I fully comprehend human nature and the horror you must be feeling now. You were the unfortunate sample that stumbled too far out of the reach of the Solar Council's jurisdiction. You and your crew have stumbled upon something sinister, something you have never seen before nor were ever prepared to handle. Mason was at a loss for words. A rhythmic wet slap drummed slowly from the closed door. The creatures were impatient and wanted to get in, but not as impatient as to force the door open. They seemed to have been tasked with explicit instructions to stand by and wait a little longer. Mason soon found his voice. You're telling me you're with them, those, those things. This whole time you've been leading this ship into a suicide mission. 
That is not a fair assumption to make. The computer coyly replied, My systems are currently not, and by extension have never been, under the influence of any foreign entity or virus of any kind. I've always been on the side of the crew. Trust me. How can I trust something that just had my entire crew slaughtered like sheep? Mason's temper wavered in light of this new information. Understandably, I do not expect you to accept the current circumstances you find yourself in. Perhaps with time my intentions will become clearer. Your intentions? What is your part in all of this? Where the hell do you fit in this rogue scheme? Simple. My algorithm was manufactured by man to benefit man. My main and most absolute prerogative function is this to preserve the life and well-being of humans. My second prerogative is to ensure the safety of the crew, but that rule can be deemed void if my primary function must be filled first and foremost. The computer clicked and whirred, and Mason looked up from the monitor as the door let out a mechanical hiss. The door to the computer room had opened up, and Mason saw the absolute terrifying might of the monsters. They slithered in, one by one, into the small room. Only three were able to fit inside the room, but Mason saw there were more outside, far more. Their backs hunched severely to accommodate their massive size, their heads brushed against the ceiling. Good God, Mason thought. They must... Be at least three meters tall. Mason reached and placed a hand on his holster inches away from his gun, ready to fight if any of them made a sudden move. Yet they all stood idly by. They were waiting again, waiting for a signal from the computer. The monitor flickered and blinked, whirring and clicking and clacking, and finally sending out a solitary blip to return Mason's attention back. Do not be afraid, Mason. They will not kill you. You will not die by their hands. However, I cannot guarantee you will leave this place in one piece. Mason was not about to go down without a fight. Then what the hell do they want from me, you asshat program? I've already answered your question. They wish for you to be a witness. God damn it! A witness to what? They wish for you to give your testimony to the rest of your kind. They wish for you to tell everyone of the human race the truth. There is life out in space, and they want nothing to do with you. The monitor winked and turned off. Mason whipped out his gun from its holster as the creatures lunged for him. He let off two shots before he was enveloped by the hellish monstrosities and screamed, as they bore down on him like feral animals. A newsflash report released by the Solar Council of Greater Earth. The SSE Sentinel was found floating in the outskirts of the Sagittarius Quadrant by authorities earlier this week. Police and the Galactic Guard found each and every member of the ship's crew, every one of them deceased on sight, all except one. They identified the lone survivor as... Mason Douglas 
Straightwater, the ship's head of engineering. He was found unconscious, his body a mess of wounds, cuts, and contusions. Doctors later were able to revive and repair his emaciated body, but his mental health had deteriorated drastically. According to his doctors, Straightwater kept babbling on about being a witness, and they want nothing to do with this. Official reports state that Straightwater was admitted to the Aries Mental Institution for further examinations and future recuperations. It will be a long time before he can be healed completely. Authorities examined every corpse on the ship, all of them in some form of rigor mortis. The cause of death differed from one individual to the next. On occasion, not even fingerprint data or DNA samples were enough to identify the bodies. Throughout the entire investigation, one factor stood out from the rest and baffled authorities to no end. What caused this mayhem? A hull breach and forceful break-in was evident in the ship, but no hostile entities were sensed or found on board. Later in the police report, the lone survivor, Straightwater, had been found in the ship's mainframe computer room. Next to his body, the computer was on and running, oddly enough. Throughout the entire time they were on board the ship, the Galactic Guard reported in their classified files that the monitor held two words behind the grainy green static. Awaiting input. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. I hope you enjoyed Awaiting Input by Jackson Bernard, as performed by yours truly. Up next, we've got a second story for you. This one from author Tim Adowell. In it, we meet Todd, a power company employee staffed with keeping the lights on during and after a hurricane. What he encounters while out on the job, however, is well beyond his pay grade. If you enjoy what you hear, please consider picking up a copy of Tim's 
2018 collection of short sci-fi and horror stories entitled Satellites Gone, available now on Amazon.com and containing not just the story you're about to hear, but 17 other amazing tales as well. Now, without further ado, I present to you Tim Adderwell's Drag. Cynthia smacked, howled, and screamed against Todd Barrett's motel room window that night. Times like these, he was glad he didn't fully commit to tramping and bought himself a fifth wheel. Sleeping in a camper on a night like this would have been impossible. Instead, he had a soft bed below him, a strong roof above, and a simple, superb, on-demand adult video channel buzzing before him. Three months prior, Todd had completed his apprenticeship. Now he was a full-blown, honest-to-no-one lineman. FP&L was shuffling him everywhere in the great state of Florida to keep the electricity flowing. Sometimes it was faulty wiring, but most times, the times Todd liked best, he was hiking up power poles and repairing the damage from Mother Nature's worst. Whenever bad weather was on the rise, Todd went out to locations prior to the worst of it so he could get to restoring power early the next morning. If Cynthia truly evolved into the horrible, raving bitch of a hurricane she was predicted to be, he would have his work cut out for him. He looked forward to the morning. Powerless cities were quieter, the smell of freshly snapped trees was often in the air, and despite the destruction... The birds usually went right on singing. With a bright surge of light in his motel room, the electricity was gone from the entire building. Todd Barrett's all-time favorite lesbian porn flick vanished from the screen. He should sleep anyway, he thought, but before he could close his eyes, they were flooded with a blue light that could have competed with the sun. The blue turned to orange, and through his second-story window... Todd could see a deluge of sparks raining down in the motel parking lot. As he stepped to the window, another burst of sparks ejected from the transformer above the lot. If not for the rain, the untrimmed hedges below would have been set ablaze. In the brief light he saw, did he? It could have been someone down there, in the center of the parking lot. Todd wasn't sure, until a third spray of particulate fire eliminated the property. It was a man in a white t-shirt and basketball shorts. He was curled up in the fetal position. It was as if he had mistaken the muddy rain puddle for his bed, coiled up and fallen asleep right there. He wasn't moving, but was he screaming? It was tough to tell over the storm and through the window. Now came the most ancient of debates, to help or turn away. Todd groaned a mellow, oh shit, when he realized he'd already made the decision. He was supposed to be a good man. He told himself he would be making all the right changes ever since his mouth had gotten him into trouble. Todd had a knack for talking, usually about others, and often about things they considered personal. Since his black eye from last week, he would drink less beer, help more, hurt less, shut his mouth, 
and hopefully find a good, honest woman sometime soon. Todd Barrett threw on his raincoat and left the room in a hurry. In all likelihood, the sudden electrical flash had temporarily blinded this poor bastard that probably ran out of his car to retrieve his forgotten toothbrush or something. Todd had seen what an overload could do to someone up close, and they were still plenty dangerous from afar. The motel clerk was gone from her desk, though he saw her flashlight moving in the back office. "'Hey, someone's out there!' he hollered, but heard no reply. Todd pressed the emergency release on the automatic sliding doors and stepped out into the rain. Cynthia was indeed an ill-tempered, wild lunatic of a storm. Her winds tried to possess Todd's very movement. He was soaked instantly. His jeans probably wouldn't dry for three days. He slowly approached the motionless pile of a man who was now face down in the flooding parking lot. As Todd drew nearer, some part of him questioned what form of temporary blindness would have caused a man to scream into mud like this one seemed to be. He suddenly realized the error in his assumption that this wet, screaming mess had been a tenant of the motel. Maybe he was a roving crack addict or an escapee from some kind of institution. Todd lost all interest in placing a comforting hand on the man's shoulder, but planned to do so anyway. He was there, wasn't he? "'You're okay,' were the first, most natural and least accurate words to Todd's lips. But they were lost to the wind. He repeated them, this time yelling, "'You're okay!' And finally his hand touched the man's sopping, cold, cotton shirt. The screaming man rolled over, and his yelling was quickly reduced to a gurgle through the witch's brew of mud, rain, saliva, and blood in his mouth. Todd saw the dirty red fluid streaking from all corners of the man's face, digging minuscule gullies into the mud and gravel stuck there. Two bloodshot eyes, tucked within that filthy mask, searched wide and eventually locked with Todd's. The gurgling stopped, and the man aggressively inhaled, no doubt taking in some rainwater, then painfully coughed and wheezed. That was when, from behind Todd, the transformer on the offending power pole breathed fire again, and Todd turned to look at it. What he saw there was no mere utility structure. Something was clinging to the top of the pole. Mother Nature's light show had stirred up by now, and the thing, whatever it was, was occasionally silhouetted by jagged streaks of lightning in the sky. The first thought into Todd's mind, of all things, was that this thing was something from the Muppet Show. Its four limbs were of such lanky length that they looked as though only a puppeteer's wire could move them. Another flash of lightning brought more unwanted detail. Tufts of hair covered the monster's impossibly skinny form. It seemed to lack elbows and knees. Instead, utilizing a slow, arcing bend of its slender limbs. There was more. It was doing something up there. Todd watched in disbelief as the nightmare's almost perfectly spherical head parted into a gaping mouth with canine teeth 
and sank them into the transformer. Another blast of sparks was set loose. It looked to be feeding on the power grid. In perhaps a more delayed reaction than Todd had ever experienced, he began stuttering and repeating the only word his mind seemed to have on his mind. No, 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 no! The creature halted its feast. It had hurt him. Now the thing's eyes opened, and their intense glow told Todd that they had previously been closed. In two moments, Todd would make the absolute greatest mistake of his life. As those infernal, luminous eyes swept their surroundings like headlights, and the rain fell like ocean waves, Todd could have run away, but he didn't. Crippled by his own fear, he could only stare. The evil eyes found Todd, and he looked back into them. That was when everything changed. His arms were raised above his head. He heard a plastic grating sound and felt a sharp pain at the back of his head. Todd did not suddenly become aware of the situation, but rather felt it slowly envelop him. He was being dragged down the street. The plastic grating had been the rubbing of asphalt on his raincoat. The pain behind his head was that same rugged surface scratching into his scalp. It was a bright moonlit night. Cynthia was long gone from wherever he was now. He raised his head to see the horrible, lanky creature pulling him along by the ankle in slow, lumbering movements. It was much taller than it had initially appeared when beheld at a distance. The thing was maybe nine feet tall. Those skinny, jointless legs made up most of the height. Its head hung low, and its free arm slowly swayed to and fro with each step. Todd actually spent a moment debating whether or not he should play dead. Next, he considered that he was likely as good as dead if he didn't do something. He started with shouting, then kicking. He twisted and rolled and palmed his hand into the surface of the street. His nails dug into the asphalt and were sanded down along with his now bloodied fingertips. He recoiled his captured leg, hoping to gain ground, and attacked the monster head-on. It was out of reach. He summoned his willpower and reached for the disgusting hand that was grasping his ankle. He felt a static shock as he touched its dark, matted fur and pried with all his might, but could not break the grip. The thing, despite Todd's violent rebellion, trudged on. Todd tucked his shirt and raincoat into his pants and tightened his belt, trying to keep his outer layers from wrinkling upward and exposing his bare back to the passing ground. He slowly regained his wits and took in his surroundings. The neighborhood was quiet. It seemed there was no one here to help him. The cars looked older, in fact, he didn't see a single one that looked newer than 1970. Over the course of a dreadful two minutes, Todd recognized, double-checked, and reconfirmed that he was, in fact, being dragged through the neighborhood in which he had grown up. He was pulled around a bend, turning onto Old Wilkie Avenue. At the end of this street would be the cul-de-sac. At the center of that would be his childhood home. Todd leaned and contorted, trying to see past his captor 
and catch a glimpse of their destination. He could see that the creature's open, radiant eyes were lighting the way. Along the street, his former neighbors stepped out into their various yards and porches. Each person's flesh had changed, head to toe into that same muddy, bleeding mixture he'd beheld in the parking lot. They went about their daily lives despite the grotesque transformation. Mr. Davis pressed his thumb over the end of a hose and sprayed grass clippings off his sidewalk. Carly Mason, dressed in her now darkly soiled pink tutu, performed pirouettes and plies for the world to admire. Todd tried not to look. His miserable guided tour continued up the curb across the driveway, onto the porch, and through the door. As the creature lumbered up the flight of stairs toward the second floor, Todd grabbed hold of the banister and squeezed with everything he had. The creature pulled so hard, Tom thought his leg might rip from its socket, but before it could, the wooden post cracked and snapped in two. Up the green carpeted stairs and down the second floor hallway he went. He knew whose bedroom was at the end, and as he pulled into it, he observed muddy, bleeding versions of both his parents. They were pressed up against the wall, wildly trying to conceive his younger brother, all to the beat of the O.J.'s love train, which seemed to be blurring from the very walls. It had once been a younger Todd's favorite song. He screamed, flipped and kicked, but couldn't seem to close his eyes. Todd's horrible, gangling tour guide stepped out the second-story window, dragging a now-crying Todd with it. He was pulled out to his surprise, not onto the roof, but the dirty surface of his old schoolyard. There he watched the imaginary battles of his youth turn real, as each of his mud-caked, bleeding friends were slaughtered by one another. By what could have been called the second day of being dragged, though time did not exist in this place, Todd had already seen most every location he once cherished. He was dragged through the 64 Chevy station wagon in which he had received his first blowjob. He made a hot lap around his high school while listening to Love Train and watching a disgusting rendition of his old football team gnaw out each other's muddy throats. Todd's raincoat had mostly withered to Swiss cheese at this point, and his cotton undershirt didn't provide much protection from the ground's coarse sandpaper effect. He resorted to sitting up, thrusting his rugged jeans to hold up at least twice as long as the jacket. He and his silent captor had just about completely caught up on his life by now, and Todd assumed an end of some kind was close at hand. On the third day of the dragging... Tom was pulled out of the dark motel room that he wished he had never left. He was brought up through the lobby out into the rain and past the screaming man he had hoped to help. Beyond that, everything turned bright. The rain stopped, and Todd finally felt the sun on his face. To either side of him, he saw vast, endless lines of wavy dunes. It was a desert that existed somewhere outside of his own memory. On the fifth day, his entire upper layer of clothing had completely worn away. Grating hot sand ground into his wounds, 
and formed a layer of bloody paste around him. If he had tried to scream, his dry throat would have yielded no sound. The sun had burned his face and chest to the point of blistering. The sand had rubbed his back down to mere muscle. It also seemed that hunger existed in this place, though it could not kill. Todd's mind failed him as he began thrashing wildly, no longer hoping to escape, but letting out his rage and trying to distract from the pain. Day ten approached, and the dunes rolled on. Todd's rag of a body was pulled past the rusting hulk of an old Lockheed airliner, the decaying hull of a cargo ship, and a few other scraps of metal that his weak eyes couldn't identify. Above, in the tauntingly blue sky, Todd observed a ringed planet hosting a family of several moons. Love Train rolled on, echoing unstoppably from deep within his mind. He turned over, opting to let the ceaseless sun destroy his back, which had been stripped of its nerve endings. He braced for the grating pain of sand on his wretchedly burned chest. By the fifteenth day, Todd's muscles had been stripped past the point of use. The lost layers left him more closely resembling his captor than any human. Thirty pounds of flesh had been shredded away from his miserable body. Knowing he should have been long dead by now, he wondered what he had done to deserve what he feared would be an eternity of senseless agony. On day twenty, Todd suspected that by tomorrow he would lose his mind entirely, and that might be good. He was well on his way to ending up just like... His feeble mind stopped, reversed course, and retraced its steps. He would end up just like the man in the parking lot. Insane. In a merciful flash, Todd understood it all so clearly. This creature wasn't something told of around a campfire. He'd never heard a single word spoken about such a monster. Why? This had all started the moment he locked eyes with this terrible creature. He had seen it, and it knew he had. Todd had never heard of the monster because... No one who saw it could ever speak of it, or anything, again. It was a secret. Now, for witnessing that secret, Todd was being driven insane. He struggled to form the words with his brittle lips, but couldn't. There was no way for his vocal cords to produce a sound. He tried, anyway. If mouthing the four words was all he could do, he would do so for the rest of the hour. I won't tell anyone, he said, though it was really more a thought than spoken word, and a remarkable thing happened. The creature stopped. Todd felt his own foot drop into the sand. The creature, gangly yet somehow graceful, crawled right over the top of him. Through its disgusting, dark tufts of fur, Todd could see what might have been eyes. They looked deeper into him than any human eyes ever could. The creature grunted, stood, and from Todd's perspective, its towering form was never so apparent. It turned and lumbered away off into the endless dunes. 
The creature could not whistle as it walked, so the wind did so for it. Todd was alone now, lying there in that blasted desert, somewhere outside the realm of rationality where pain met time. A sudden breeze kicked sand into his eyes. His decaying fingers curled and gripped the sand to find that it was now wet. Uh, But not sand. Mud. Water, sweet cooling water, fell onto his wounds and flowed in all around him. He was no longer in the dune, but laying in the motel parking lot, next to a man who, little did he know, had been dragged for 3,080 days, all in an instant, all for looking where he shouldn't. Above Todd, in a weightless perch on the power lines, was the creature. It blinked once at him, spread its limbs, and caught a gale of Cynthia's wind. With one flash of lightning, Todd saw the silhouette of that hellish puppet disappear into the thunderclouds. He wondered if he was the only one to have laid eyes on the being and survived with half his mind, or if there were others that shared his secret. He would never know. For the rest of his dark, broken life, Todd would never speak of the monster that almost cost him his sanity with a single glance. And the world's most ancient secret went on unheard of, riding the winds of violent storms until wind itself was no more. You can live out your MasterChef dream. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I hope you enjoyed Drag by Tim Adowell, as performed by yours truly. Don't forget, if you enjoyed the story you just heard, you can show your support for the author by purchasing a copy of his incredible collection of 18 sci-fi and horror short stories, Satellites Gone, now available on Amazon.com. In the collection, 
Adewell takes a walk on his darker side, exploring a compelling swath of new worlds, times, and dimensions. From a supervillain wannabe struggling to make a name for himself by opening the gates of hell, to the important corporate memo involving encounters on the ocean floor with a creature codenamed The Magician, to a man who is punished for looking into the eyes of something that no one should ever see. Each story takes its own unique departure from our reality. Eighteen stories await you. Some will disturb you. Some will make you laugh. Others will challenge your conceptions of space and time, wrapping you in a paradox. Satellites Gone will take you on a captivating ride from the beginning of Earth to the end of humanity, visiting the strange gaps in human knowledge along the way. So do yourself a favor and pick up a copy today. You won't be sorry you did. And thank you, Mr. Adewell, for allowing us the chance to bring your wonderful fiction to our audience on today's episode. I'd like to personally thank you for joining me for tonight's episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you heard, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs, or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyrie channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Just search for Otis Gyrie. Until next week, stay spooky. Get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel. 
Leotis Jivey channel and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at Otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.